Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Inspired Evolution Tribe, how are you going? Welcome. So this week's episode is a really special one. We've got with us Dr. Zach Bush. And there is so much work that Dr. Zach Bush is doing on the gut biome and soil health uh, for the world, GMOs. And he's literally speaking out in the face of some of the, the biggest organizations out there like that are promoting GMOs and monocropping. Um, and I think we know who they are. But fundamentally, this conversation is actually dedicated to the human experience, life and death. Um, We talk about the three births that we have in our life and those birthing experiences and what they can teach us and ultimately what death can teach us. And one of my favorite philosophers of all time, Alan Watts, uh, I think for those tuning in on the regular, you know, that's no surprise. Um, He said, you know, that actually the fertilizer for living a rich life is to actually contemplate death. And this is a this is an ode to acceptance. This particular podcast, accepting life, accepting death. Um, it's it's heavy, but it's yummy, and it's filled with so much optimism and promise for the potential of what the human species is and can do and can achieve. I'm really, really, really excited for you to tune into this one, and I know it's going to change your life. So enjoy, and as always, you're loving the Inspired Evolution. It's an honor to be inspired to evolve by your side. Please hit subscribe, hit the bell notification icon so we can stay connected, and I'll see you very soon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach, and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days. You can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. 
That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, ladies, gentlemen, plants, topsoils of all sorts. It is such a pleasure to be here today. We have with us Dr. Zach Bush. Zach, how are you, brother bear? Uh, best introduction I've heard so far. I'm very excited <laughs> to be here. I, I share your enthusiasm for being alive. <laughs> enthusiasm for life is actually a massive punchline over here. So I'm glad that's coming through loud and clear at your end. And uh, for those tuning into Zach for the first time, look, give me just a quick sec. There is so much I could say in this introduction, but I'll keep it short, sharp and shiny. He's a physician specializing in internal medicine, endocrinology and hospice care right? He's an internationally recognized educator and thought leader on the microbiome, studying and educating how it relates to health, disease, and importantly, food systems. He founded the Seraphic Group and the not-for-profit Farmers Footprint to develop root cause solutions for human and ecological health. His passion for education reaches across many disciplines, as you're about to find out in this episode, including topics such as the role of soil and water ecosystems in human genomics, immunity, and gut and brain health. It's so diverse, all the way from soil health and biology, all the way through to cellular biology. His education has highlighted the need for a radical departure from chemical farming and pharmacy, and his ongoing efforts are providing a path for consumers, farmers, and mega industries to work together for a healthy future for the people and the planet. And if you're tuning in for the first time, do yourself a favor, one of my favorite podcasts of all time, and this is coming from a podcaster who consumes podcasts left, right, and center, is Zach did a podcast with Rich Roll in 2018 on GMOs, glyphosate, and gut health. If you haven't checked it out, please do. It's a game changer. I absolutely love it. Zach, it is such a pleasure to have you here, bro. Thanks for having me on. I'm really pleased to be with the with the entire audience here at Inspired Evolution. Thank you so much, man. And look, we could start in so many places. Um, there's a whole conversation in I'm not what I eat, but what I eat ate. But where I really have just been finding my own curiosities going, researching your work is there's two births that we have. And when I started tuning into the way you describe this, um, it really started to really started to sink in just the depth of work that you did with people transitioning. And um, I think it's a conversation in our society that we're not having as readily um, as potentially we did in the past. Um, I, I, and again, that's just me projecting on the past. But um, I'd love to sort of come to that point as a, as a point to start with. It's, you know, you've, you're working in hospice care and, you know, how is it that you started to come around this idea that, you know, death is just another birth, as you put it? Can you tell us a little bit about where that came from and what it really means to you? Awesome. I'm going to actually uh, add another one in there. I think we have three births and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you'll be the first podcast to be able to debut all three of them. <laughs> So, Do I have to go through three rebirths? <laughs> <Does> that... <laughs> Please, I interrupted. So, uh, 
the the matrix looks like this in my worldview now, which is um, at at conception we are in this very bizarre bubble of uh, biology and biophysics uh, that we would call the womb. Mm -hmm. uh, and so at the moment of conception, we are in this energetic space where we are very much protected from the mother as much as we are from the world. And so that if the mother's immune system uh, is able to see even that very first fertilized egg, it will immediately kill it because uh, it's foreign, foreign genetic information, it's foreign material, it's, it's seen as an invader. And so it would, but the body brilliantly has designed itself uh, to be able to compartmentalize spaces within the body that remain invisible to the mother. And the womb is, is the holy of holies in this space that is invisible to her immune system. And it does so through a number of different mechanisms, but the primary one is the, the hormone progesterone. Mm. Progesterone creates this incredible veil over the, the uh, embryo as it starts to form. And it protects that, that embryo from the mother's immune system, but also creates a, a literal envelope of space for that being to be its own person. Mm. And I find that fascinating, right? That, that we are able to call in a soul into this mm. womb that is, you know, from the beginning of time, perhaps uh, an, an energetic center of consciousness that we would call a soul is able to align itself with a physical body forming within the, the womb of a woman. And it has this protected space so that it does not need to take on any of the attributes of mom or dad or planet. Mm -hmm. And so we have this interesting veil that's there. And there's an opportunity at every millionth of a second of that embryo's development to be free and clear of the traumas that humanity has gone through in its history. Hmm. What starts to break down um, as we uh, go through life is that connection to original self. The hmm. original self decays rapidly when we come into the world out of that protected womb. And we start to be programmed very quickly with everything from you know, the social and, and spiritual beliefs of our environment, the, the country we're born in programs us with their whole belief system, our the religious belief systems that we're born into suddenly program us with all this. So very quickly, we go from an origin experience within the womb to one of uh, a, a hard drive that's being downloaded at rapid rates of other beliefs, other information, and it separates us from the origin story, the real self state. And so the first birth within that womb is a beautifully protected space. And uh, interestingly, when we use an energy camera in our clinic designed by a Russian physicist that uh, is able to image the human energy field. And throughout the nine months of pregnancy, you cannot see that other energy field until oh. that baby starts to exit the, or enter the uh, vaginal canal for delivery. And suddenly you can see this other energy field. And so before it leaves the mother's body, while it's in, transiting the birth canal, it, it suddenly becomes visible. Hmm. And so this is the moment in which the soul, I think, you know, reveals itself to the world is through transit out of the body. And so the second birth is one, you know, the second conception, we'll call it. First conception at, at the time of uh, the egg and the sperm coming together. Second conception is the time of transit of the vaginal canal. And in the hmm. moment that that energy field becomes visible, you also are rebirthing life or you're seeding new life within that child because it's inheriting in those few minutes and hours in the birth canal, it's actually inheriting the entire microbiome of the mother. Mm. And so the microbiome is this vast ecosystem that is very much the soil that will nurture that life into its existence. And we now know, you know, 10 years, 15 years into our genomics technology at the level that we're 
currently capable of, that every single disease and in fact, every state of health is rooted in the microbiome. And so it takes an injury in the microbiome before you'll ever manifest cancer. It takes an injury in the microbiome before you ever manifest major depression. And so the microbiome is this vital foundation for life to occur. So the second conception is this birth canal event. Unfortunately, if you go to China, 51% of births now are by sterile C-section and the child will never get its second conception. Instead, that child is born, pulled out of a sterile incision and placed in a hospital where it will now inherit the trauma and the, the chaos of a hospital microbiome rather than the vaginal canal of a mother. In the United States, we're at about 32, 34% in, in Melbourne, you're, you're relatively similar uh, percentage there. In some of our bigger municipalities in the United States, we're at 42% births mm -hmm. by C-section. And so we're approaching from China to the United States and, be, and everything in between, this almost half of births without their second conception, without the foundation of a vast and diverse microbiome, and instead they're born into this deficient, weed-prone, overgrowth-prone environment of you know, multidrug-resistant bacteria from the hospital or whatever it is. And so mm. we are born into these deficient soil systems when we uh, fail to transit through a healthy vaginal canal. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even in those healthy, healthy vaginal canals, we have to deal with the fact that now mothers are exposed to antibiotics throughout their pregnancy often, especially in those last couple hours of pregnancy. They're usually often thrown on antibiotics, especially if it's a prolonged labor. They're put on IV antibiotics if they have you know, a, a strep B you know, swab positive a couple of weeks before they're put on IV antibiotics. So the, the garden is being destroyed at the very moment that child is, is exiting that mm. vaginal canal and the second conception is compromised. We then go through life either you know, with a, a diverse and, and rich soil that we're born into or this deficient state, and we will manifest all kinds of diseases and disorders. And what we find is that at every level of disease, we are witnessing the consequences of separation from nature. And that's really how we start to understand disease in this new state, instead of believing that diseases you know, suddenly pop up and attack us to undermine our health, it takes a, a fundamental perfect storm collapse of health itself before disease can emerge. And so this is the state of affairs in, in a Western developed world where we have chronic disease in 52% of our children by the time they're 18 now. We have uh, you know, massive amounts of chronic disease in, in our 20s and 30s. Uh, we're facing you know, one in two people with major depression now. We're facing one in three children with autism by 2035. We're facing you know, one in two males in the United States with cancer before we die. 
like from stem to stern, we are a disaster of health right now. Mm. And so this is largely due to our increasing understanding now that we have undermined the very biology of life through killing the microbiome, through antimicrobials, herbicides, pesticides, and the like. And then we step to the third birth that you referred to at the beginning, which is this amazing thing that we call death. And it was in my work in the, the hospitals and the ICUs and working around death and dying that I started to realize I had been handed the wrong wrong model here, not just by the medical field that had, had taught me to beat back death at every cost, but also by my religious worldview that I'd been kind of born in a hippie Christian church in Boulder, Colorado, in an epicenter of hippiehood and in, in, in the world. And I was born in that 1960, you know, early 70s when the Jesus movement was afoot and everything was all uh, age of Aquarius and it was all going good. And then that same generation went on to invent suburb, suburban living and strip malls and you know, uh, Walmarts and processed foods and, you know, everything that we've created out of this, you know, beginning of the age of Aquarius, we suddenly took a hard left turn into a really destructive, consumptive world, the 1980s and the whole consumerism that was born out of the 1980s that has never slowed down. Mm. And we're just like pedal to the metal to suck the marrow out of earth until it's dead. Mm. That journey is mimicked in the ICUs. And we see you know, human bodies going through this extremis of separation from Mother Earth. And in that, you know, we, we literally put people in these like sealed bubbles. Imagine as another womb now that instead of trying to seal you in, into a space where you have total vibration of, of source, we're trying to get you away from the source. And so we're pushing back nature at everything. We're pushing back spirituality and we're trying to put you in this technology bubble that just allows technology to touch you. And so in this environment, you will have a, a tube up your butt to drain the stool out of your colon. You'll have a tube in your urethra to drain your bladder. You'll have a tube down your throat to help you uh, eat. You'll have a tube in your lungs to help you breathe. You have a tube up your nose to, to deal with secretions. Every orifice has been infiltrated by some sort of non-latex plastic tubing to suck life out of you or put, try to put nutrients into you. There's a there's ve your veins have been infiltrated by IVs. There's a big uh, tube in your neck that's pumping fl fluids into your central vena cava of your heart. Like it is 100% mechanized version of life. Mm -hmm. And the horror that's in there is, is balanced by our sense of control. And so the, the reason we went to create all of that was because we wanted to control life so that death would not occur. And the frightening thing that you witness in the ICUs is that we are literally stealing the soul of life uh, in those last weeks, months, and years of people's lives as they bounce in and out of ICUs more and more frequently. We're stealing the very essence of life from the most important moment of life. And so that's how I got myself into hospice was the experience that I had when I got to pull people off life support. And often they would only last seconds to minutes. And so I would pull, I would pull their ventilator and discontinue all the tubes and stop the drugs and let their family sit there by the bedside. And in those hallowed couple seconds, some of the most extraordinary exchanges of human intelligence and human consciousness would occur. And it made me realize that I wanted to be a part of that instead of the tubes and the control and all of that. And so I started to let go of, of the concept of I needed to learn more to control more to the mm. point that I wanted to learn more about what it looked like to surrender. And that's been my last you know, 11, 12 years of journey as I left academia was to dive deep as I could into nature to figure out what was our original design. 
what the hell were we really here for? Why were we given the opportunity for three births? Uh, because certainly in that death moment, when we are conscious for it and we're not overly drugged and we can speak instead of be on ventilators, we say some amazing things about what we're about to go do. Because really, we, this is the womb. This whole life that we call human lifespan is the womb. This is the preparation for what we want to do next. And this is our training grounds. This is the embryonic state of our soul on its next mission. And so you are right now practicing the cellular development, the consciousness development that would prepare you to sign the contract for the next event, the next life. And so you, you and I are given this opportunity to be far more awake and conscious. So I'm sorry I took about half your podcast by answering one question, but you asked me a big question, which is tell me about the, the two deaths. Two this, is how, this is how we roll, bro. <laughs> Don't you dare ever apologize on this episode. <laughs> One of the things, there's so much in there to unpack and we will get there. One of the things that really got me hook, line and sinker was, can you tell us about some of the people you brought back um, from I don't want to say brought back, but you know, they, they, they crossed over almost and you brought them back and I don't want to sound like they were ungrateful, but some of them didn't express the same sort of gratitude that you were looking for potentially. And it was this, you know, like, why'd you bring me back? What was going on there, man? Like, cause I know there's this essence of, you mentioned the word acceptance and I was just like, that kind of pulled the, the, the carpet out from underneath me. Yeah. Yeah. So you're touching on a story that unfolded there, that, that ritual podcast, I think is probably the first time I shared that, but what was happening in these ICUs is, you know, by this time I was, you know, had been three years in, in my ICU experience and all this, I was preparing for my chief resident year, which is a faculty year of teaching. So I was kind of heading for the pinnacle of like expertise and, and being the operational brain in, in these, these ICUs and everything else. And, you get very comfortable at the extremity of life and death. Like you get mm. like, you, that's the only place you really want to be after a while. It's like, if it's, I, I imagine it's similar to my brother who was in the military over in Iraq during the, 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 the whole conflict there, which was, you know, he was, if it wasn't life and death every day, it was boring. And that mm. starts to be that way. Once you get used to the ICUs, you're in this like pinnacle moment. And in that, you can develop this God complex where it's like, I am being given all of the power to, you know, pull people back from the brink of death. Mm -hmm. And in that there's this, you know, huge ego that can, can take root in you. Uh, There is no Zach ego. There is no Amrit ego. There is just ego. And we can choose to root into that or not. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just this one energy force that I believe is there. And, and we can all root into ego. And, and so this God complex that can develop in Western medicine, as well as the military or any other place you're dealing with these kind of life and death decisions or any sense of power, right? You're sitting on Wall Street and you're a big trader or whatever you're doing and you seem super important because you're moving billions of dollars a day in commerce or whatever. All of these heady moments where we're, we have the perception of power are heavily rooted into this thing ego. And so it's, it takes somebody coming back from the other side of the veil to, to sometimes completely dismantle something like that. And that's what happened in, those, in some of those moments. And so, you know, the, there was one evening that, you know, I, you know, it was a striking one because I had multiple codes that night where, you know, multiple people's hearts stopped and they died and, and we were able to resuscitate them, which is very unusual. Usually we'd run in, we have about a 90, 94% failure rate of resuscitation. So when the heart stops, 94% of the time they're, they're gone. We don't get them back. 
we rush in with the cart and the shocks and paddles and everything you see on ER and everything else you've seen on TV. We do all that stuff because it's what we're supposed to do, but it doesn't work most of the time. It is shocking when after minutes of going through the regimens and you're, you're starting to give up, then somebody suddenly starts breathing and opens their eyes and more shocking when they start talking. And, and so that's very rare. And this happened, you know, a couple times that night, which was very weird for it to happen a couple times at night. And it was the only time in my life that it happened twice in the same night. But these two people could not have been from more, you know, extreme different backgrounds. One was an African-American pastor in the Baptist church uh, environment that I was raising my kids in and stuff like this with this incredible, you know, soul gospel songs and everything else. Mm -hmm. And he, he was the epicenter of his community. We literally were having crisis in the ICU of how to move all of his 200 visitors a day in and out of the ICU so that, you know, cause you can only have five visitors at a time. And it was like traffic jam on this guy's end. <laughs> and he was just like, he, he was the African-American version of Santa Claus. Like he just had this laugh and this big belly laugh. And he was this big guy that just, you wanted to, to, to be around him. You wanted to sit by him and just soak up his jolly you know, nature. On the other side of the ICU was this uh, gentleman who's very estranged from his church, his religious upbringing, his community and everything else. He had, uh, he had realized that he was gay at a pretty young age at a time in, in America where this was, you know, a crisis of, of culture and Less religion accepted. and everything else and, and acceptance. And so he had been estranged from family and friends and culture and church and all of this uh, de developed AIDS as complications of HIV and uh, some other, you know, substance abuse issues, everything else. And this guy was dying alone. And at one point he had one visitor come who had been uh, a, a life partner for a short period of time some years back and had heard that he was dying and came and spent a couple hours but in, in the weeks that I took care of him in the ICUs that was he had had one visitor and he was bitter he was pissed at the world he was pissed at his own journey um, and then these two guys died at the same time uh, within minutes of each other when resuscitated uh, the the pastor the middle of his community everything else and he came back you know, we, he immediately was fine. He opened his eyes. You know, when I say immediately, he was dead for about five minutes and then, you know, pops back alive, opens his eyes. Uh, we extubate him pretty quickly because he's choking on his tube and is clearly a, alert and awake. So we extubate him and he's sitting there talking to me and he says, you know, I just had the most extraordinary experience and um, I'm so frustrated that I'm back here again, you know, and, and that kind of lack of gr gratitude to my godlike quality. I can to see how that would smash you. Wait a second. This was the moment that I was going to extubate Santa Claus, and here I was the best doctor on the yeah. planet. And, I had your back, bro. And you're like dogging on me, like, what the hell? Like, I, you're back because I brought you back. And, and the story was that, you know, he had, had stepped into a space, he was in another space, uh, and uh, that was so exquisitely beautiful for the fact that he felt for the very first time in his life, completely accepted. Mm -hmm. And so we were having this emotional experience and I was processing what he's telling me. And then the code bell goes off, which is an overhead, you know, uh, call for the code, code blue team. And so I give him a hug, run out of the room and uh, tear down the hall on the ICU and, and uh, run into this other ICU, which is this gentleman dying from complications of AIDS and, uh, end up, you know, he's in full code, no pulse, crash carts there, 
usual rigmarole, pumping lidocaine and epinephrine into him. And, and after, you know, getting some weird heart rhythms, shock him a couple of times, he starts breathing again. And lo and behold, he opens his eyes and we end up excavating him. And he says, why the hell did you bring me back? That was the first time I've ever felt accepted. And so that word was so weird to hear back to back so quickly. I, I've heard about the, and the love and everything else, but these two people, one so accepted by humans, like you couldn't have a more connected to this strange guy. And they both had the same effect. And it was so moving to them that they never wanted to leave it again. Mm. And the man who came back to the 250 people waiting outside of the ICU to love on him had the same sense of loss when he got disconnected from that sense of complete acceptance. Mm. And what it told me or what it reveals to all of us is that we're all walking around with a sense of not being accepted and we're mm. not enough and, and nobody can see us and nobody knows us. And so we are walking around lonely, lonely beatings on different levels and it, as stark a difference as those two men's lives had, it was an equal leap to the amount of acceptance that they had. And so you might feel unaccepted and you might look around and say, yeah, there's all this empirical proof that I'm lonely and nobody loves me and I'm disconnected. And I sit and watch Netflix even when I'm not depressed. And when I'm depressed, I turn off Netflix so I can be completely alone. Is No matter how stark a, a terror of, of loneliness you can paint, you're just as far from complete acceptance as the guy next door who feels like he's the epicenter of the social club and is all connected. The same leap is there because the complete acceptance is only when we are in that original womb, when we are in the origin story. But what if consciousness, what if humanity could start to work our way up to the point where we understood and never disconnected from that level of acceptance? How would we be behave towards one another? How would we behave towards our mother of earth? If, in fact, we understood that we are completely accepted, not just in our first womb, not just at the first conception, but all the way through that journey, we are never let go of. We are nursemated by Mother Nature herself. We are taken care of at the cellular level by a microbiome so rich and diverse, mind-blowingly beautiful. And at the same time, we are not disconnected from that spiritual reality of entities and angels and you know, saints and all of these ancestors that sit around you as a counsel to you. You are taken care of, you are accepted, and you are nurtured into the reality you are in right now. And the loneliness that you now feel is a narrative that is false. It is a belief system that has been put around you and me. And I, this week, have been railing against the world about how lonely and misunderstood I am. I, have, I went through a shock end of last week, and here I am freaking talking about this shit all the time. I'm sorry to be cursing. And then all of a sudden comes along a moment where I go into shock and I, I see, I, I learn something about myself mm -hmm. that made me suddenly feel totally insufficient. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wasn't who I thought I was because I got some medical data. And I'm like, wait a second, like, that's not who I am. And like, well, and it sent me down this freaking torrent of emotional chaos mm -hmm. of I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm this or that, or this, or that all this insecurity sets in. So, that is, is my interest now is how can I, after this much of thinking about this issue, be so freaking frail that just mm. one piece of medical data could throw me down this, this rabbit trail again of I'm not understood, I'm so lonely, all of this. So Amrit, I'm just grateful to you that you invited me on this podcast and it ended up on this day, on this Friday, when I most needed this information again, which is I am accepted. And whatever the hell I might be thinking I'm going through or whatever I think my failures and relationships are or my duties to people I love, 
it's, it's wrong. I have the wrong narrative baked into mm-hmm. me and I need to freaking shatter that reality so I can be the accepted being that I am and show up better for you. Oh, brother, the honor is mine. Thank you so much for sharing from the depth of your soul. Wow. Sending you blessings and love and care on your journey, Brother Bear. And one of the things that uh, is present for me as we're talking about this, and this leaps back into the some of the, the answer to the first question we're talking about, you know, the C-section narrative where we're sort of ripped out of the of the stomach and, you know, we, we don't have that connection potentially to our mothers and, you know, who's doing it, our, our blame doesn't really serve us. Uh, but I wanted to try and really understand, do you feel what I'm feeling in this moment that that disconnect from the way we're connected to our mothers also has that reflection in the disconnect we experience towards mother nature and that, spiritual essence of life and living is that too uh too easy to draw that parallel or is that really what you feel as well it's it's the complete parallel it's the total essence of what we've done um you know in the same way that we avoid that vaginal canal as soon as we're born right now you know more than 60 percent of kids are put immediately on a formula uh, some sort of soy based or non-soy based weird protein liquid that we've squeezed out of some machine somewhere not a single living complete plant is in that it's all processed extracts from different plants and junk and and that child will be weaned you know uh, off of that when they're you know five months six months old to solid foods that are as distant from the soil as the child was from the vaginal canal in their c-section and so we have done to the food system we have done to uh, the way in which we touch the earth most children will not touch the earth Kids are born and they're immediately put in a polyester uh, blanket and wrapped up tight, swaddled in some sort of plastic, you know, uh, polyester blanket and stuck in a crib that has a plastic lining on it. And uh, before they ever get the chance to touch Mother Earth, they're put in a pair of Nikes or rubber-soled shoes that will forever insulate them from Mother Earth herself and they will not touch that ground. And so in, in this disaster of technological pursuit of comfort, we have, in the same way of technologically separating mother from child in the C-section, uh, we have we have uh, surgically removed ourselves at every level from Mother Earth. Man, that that conversation around comfort and convenience is is a real rub, isn't it? Because on some level, it's like our pursuit for comfort and convenience is uh, it's precipitating for me that it's it's a resistance to the acceptance of the natural order of things. And, you know, I'm pretty fascinated by the natural order of things right now. Like just thinking about even I was tuning into mother's breast milk um, and just how when the baby's got a certain ailment, it produces certain antibodies. And when it's got other ailments, it produces a whole different spectrum of stuff. And I'm just like, what? Like breast milk, like what? And that's just like a simple, I know you've probably seen so much in in your medical profession, but you know, that... I'm trying to, I'm trying to for the life of me, like when there is so much, like, do we need to overdose ourselves on comfort and convenience till it snaps? Do we realize that that's not potentially the solution? What, like any, any, have you thought about this? Like, where does it, where does it break through? Yeah. I mean, this is a, a big focus of all my companies and our nonprofit too, is we're working with farmers and, and food systems, you know, everything from local, you know, single family farms all the way up to, you know, the largest CPG food companies in the world we get to work with right now. And, and every person that I talk to is trying to figure out how to 
reverse engineer ourselves out of this trap of convenience. Mm. The, the local farmer has been given a toolbox of convenience that allows them to you know, run 2,000, 3,000 acres with four or five people. You know, and so 3,000 acres, you know, if you've ever tried to garden, you know how many people it takes just to run, you know, a little 10 by 10 block. Yeah, three by three meters is enough, actually. Oh, my God. It's behind the eight ball. You're like, oh, my God. I'm Wait, what? More zucchini? Are you freaking kidding me? Like, I can't keep up. And so if that three meters overwhelms you, imagine what 3,000 acres or we're dealing with Canadian farmers that are up in the 40,000 acre range for a single family farm. And so how do you do that? And the answer is you need ridiculous amount of technology uh, to, to do that. And once you at that level of comfort and ease with the technology, you never touch the soil again. Mm. And so when we work with the Soil Health Academy and some of these groups that are teaching farmers how to, to do regenerative agriculture again and start to reintegrate themselves back into natural cycles and methods for food production, a lot of these farmers are walking on in out in their fields for the first time. They've never actually walked their fields. They've never actually used a shovel in their soil. Um, we have farmers that it's kind of comical or sad to watch them dig a hole out in the, the field because they've never done it before. Mm. And all they've used is these massive implements. You know, they're driving on, you know, uh, half million dollar combines and harvesters and seed planters. And they, they're 16 feet above the ground in these air conditioned cabs with their, their live streaming, uh, you know, stuff on, uh, you know, on a TV monitor inside. Like it's, it's insane. It's like, you know, a, a wall street office put on wheels. These farmers don't even breathe real air. They're in air conditioned space, all this in the middle of their farms. And so this is how far, the convenience strategy can go just on a single farm. You take them back in and it's a different thing. Now you imagine, you know, the CEO of Nestle who sees a horrific reality that 96% of their products are unhealthy and they want to change that world. And they're like, how do we start to do this? And at every turn, you see that there's a drug-like quality between consumer and the convenience you offered them in the toolbox you gave them. Mm. And so for the farmer, for the consumer, for the CPG CEO, this crisis of convenience is now upon us is how do we reverse engineer ourselves out of this drug-like experience of convenience at every corner? How do we start to take on inconvenient behaviors again? What is the psychological change we need to be to want and desire and actually metric value around inconvenience? It's a, it's a, a trap that we've created for ourselves. Mm, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a, an ode to stoicism <laughs> almost coming through in there. Yes. Do you, um, the importance of farmers, um, is, you know, my, 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 my heritage is that of a Sikh and our, our my heritage, I guess we were farmers and warriors by faith. Um, but so it's always had a sort of romantic, there's always been a romantic connection in my heart to that. But even now, like I'm watching the current generation, um, the my, people, my age back home are not that it's, it's almost, uh, like a. I'm, why am I beating around the bush? It's a shitty job to do in their mindsets. It's like, why would I, you know, sit on a tractor and, you know, be connected to the earth when, you know, it's a, it's almost a point of um, uh, embarrassment that they're farmers in their local, like in their local, and they're happy to fly overseas to Australia, to America, to the States, the United Kingdom and get these jobs. And they're happy to be immigrants and, and be janitors, right? I'm not saying that, you know, the janitors, janitors have saved more lives and, you know, like, cleanliness as you know from a hospital right an essential role 
but it's it's this really weird sort of discrepancy between kind of you know the importance of farmers and what it's perceived as and for me it was one of my favorite movies of all time is interstellar i man i just i'm obsessed with that movie and um it really honed in for me you know like because being of an engineering background just you know there is quite again the ego is is like yeah like i solve problems you know like uh, there's some value that i bring to the world um but then realizing in that movie that you know uh, matthew mcconaughey plays the 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 engineer turned farmer because in that era where we've literally gotten down to like one last crop of corn it's like almost like we need to go find other planets to so we can sustain ourselves it's like the importance of farming was brought front and center um thanks to you i feel like we're having this conversation more and more and i know it's not solely resting on your shoulders but i'm very grateful for the space that you're holding and having these conversations what do you think it takes for us to sort of start to realize the importance of farming as a collective yeah, I think it's going to take a lot more disease and death for us to realize it. You know, unfortunately, uh, there was an opportunity for this pandemic to really inform us of what we were seeing. We didn't see the attack of a virus on humanity. We saw humanity with vulnerabilities that we have accelerated over the last 20 years. Uh, our first big tangle with, uh, you know, a global coronavirus was with SARS in 2002. And it caused only a handful of death across the planet. 2012, we developed MERS, uh, which was another coronavirus, and, and more people died. Now, between 2012 and 2020, we had this exponential vulnerability develop, and all of us know, I don't care where you fall on the, on the narrative of, of the pandemic, whether you want to believe the blue or the red politi politicos on what the real narrative was, all of us can agree that the people that have, have died around the world in the last year were be were undermined in their health with severe comorbidities of chronic disease. Chronic heart disease, chronic kidney disease, and diabetes were the leading three comorbidities, but certainly obesity, major depression, social isolation, all these were additional risk factors there. But the reality is, you know, we are, uh, you know, developing vulnerabilities, and we certainly stopped all commerce. We certainly, you know, shut things down, and we did dramatic things that we've never done on that scale in history. And we did it in a matter of days and weeks. And so a spectacular demonstration of coordinated human behavior for change. Yeah. Change. Unfortunately, we did it uh, in order to isolate ourselves from nature again. So we developed this fear narrative of a virus. And so now we literally repurposed farm equipment to spray toxic chemicals into streetscapes and into parks and everything else to try to kill microbes and viruses as if they can be killed they're not even alive they're they're not there to be killed and so you know we we are idiotic in the way that we responded to this thing with doing exactly the opposite thing we should have done we should have rushed back out into nature as a society and said i want to be in the sun because if my vitamin d level is 50 i cannot get coronavirus no matter how hard i try i cannot get sick from coronavirus if my vitamin d is greater than 50 and and that's pretty easy to do and so fast way to get you know integrated back in there into nature is, is through the sunshine and similarly we can do it through you know integration into healthy nutri nutrient dense you know, environments so we could have gone the right way but we didn't i don't know the scale of problem that needs to outstrip the recent pandemic to bring awareness that we need to reintegrate into nature instead of disintegrate nature and and so this is you know the opportunity that we have at hand is to take that that opposite run for the, for the collective narrative that did happen, I do need to state that there was a large percentage of the population that did do the right thing, mm. that 
said, you know what, we're going to sit around home and, and our, our kitchen table again for the first time as a family and eat together again. We're going to start a garden out back for the first time. We're going to start to reintegrate into our nature again. So a lot of people around the world did that again. And that was a, a critical realignment. But it, was it enough is an interesting mm. question. And we, and we will know that more in the next couple of years. But my impression was it was not near enough. We are too quickly rushing back to our previous normal. We're too eager to inject ourselves with some genetic engineering device that we call a vaccine to say, oh, see, technology saved us from nature again. As long as we keep beating back nature with you know, more and more injections in our shoulder every six months, then we will be protected. We've pushed nature back from, and we've created this technologic womb that we can survive in to our death, uh, to our death. So uh, I don't know what it will take. I, I don't know how catastrophic the death and dying has to take before we realign uh, ourselves with nature. It could take that, or it could take a, a certain number of us, you know, probably a relatively small number on the planet connecting, uh, not mess. just to the technological level, but connecting at a soul consciousness level. And when we do that, we could simply change the, the, the narrative of what we're here to do. Why are we here? Who are we here? Where are we going? Those three critical questions could suddenly be answered and we could write a completely different narrative and a completely different second story for humanity could emerge from this tipping point of life that we're currently in. And so I'm intrigued. I'm super excited about the possibility that uh, we may be at the tipping point of all things only so that we can tip in the right direction, mm. you know? And so that, that, that could be a beautiful result. Oh, Zach, there is honestly, we're just scratching the surface. <laughs> I am so, so grateful for your time, your energy, your presence here today, man. And there is a whole, there's at least 12 rabbit holes in my head right now that I want to dive down. I'm sure you get that all the time. Um, so if it's okay with you, I'd love to do this again. Um, but before I do let you go, I've got one last sort of piece um, that I wanted to sort of tuck in today. And just to, I'm not sure how much this is like present for you, but it is really present for me. And I just want to reflect this back to you. And perhaps you have pondered this before. Um, but for me, you know, growing up in Australia, it's a, it's a really beautiful country and the indigenous culture here is, it's beyond gorgeous, actually. It's quite profound. And um, their relationship with what we have affectionately called the bush um, is, you know, it's land, it's soil, it's mother, it's the dreaming. Um, it's so much of the consciousness is in the bush, in the land. Um, and so much so that it is actually medicine as well. And uh, for me, it was very present as I kept studying, you know, to sort of understand like your body of work. And it's not even like I was studying it just for the podcast. It's been a natural curiosity that I've just been sitting present to your work. And just the, the romanticism of Zach Bush, you know, it's like <laughs> connecting me to kind of the land and the medicine that is there in the land and the soil. Um, I just want to reflect that back to you that, yeah, there's, it's really beautiful, the medicine that you carry um, and that you're sharing with us, man. So thank you so much for your blessings and being here today and sharing yourselves with us. I appreciate that. Uh, and, and looking at, you know, your Aboriginal roots that are all around you there and, and the greater Melbourne area, um, I actually was really blessed. I was speaking in Melbourne right as the pandemic began. And so I was uh, there uh, at, uh, I think it's called Federal Square there in the middle of uh, mm. Melbourne there. And uh, we were talking about Yost Bakker right before this podcast started here. And he's a wonderful guy. And he organized this huge talk there. And we had 450 people in the auditorium there. And 
it was awesome that they all showed up because the, the narrative was breaking that there was a pandemic and we were mm. supposed to be afraid of each other and all this. And 450 people showed up in those first couple of weeks of the pandemic to be together and listen to this narrative of um, how the pandemic would occur. You know, And we were able to show exactly at the time exactly what would unfold around the world and everything else because it was obvious in the years previous what the track we were on. Uh, nobody needs a, a, an eight ball to understand where we're heading and, and all of that. You just need to look at the last you know, 15 years of trajectory to understand what next year is going to look like. And so rolled out that kind of experience. And in that time in Melbourne, um, that right after I gave my talk, we, uh, I think it was the second night I was there, I gave kind of a, a fundraising talk for the Project Biome Australia, that another nonprofit we're launching right now. And um, to start that, they had me lay down on the floor of this hotel, like right outside of the freaking elevator bank on this, <laughs> in this big convention center. I lay down on this tile floor. There's, you know, 120 people there or something like that. Traffic, and they're all yeah. gathered around standing in this, this foyer with their cocktail glasses and champagne and blah, blah, blah. And I'm laying on the ground and they have uh, this Aboriginal brother um, begin a, a chant over me while one of his brothers is blowing the didgeridoo across my, my body. And uh, they gave this blessing that, was so transformative and so kind. Uh, what a, gener a generosity that I just could never have asked for or imagined, you know, requesting. You know, it's just one of those times where the universe shows you that you are more loved than you could ever imagine. And this Aboriginal prayer over me made me realize that um, I have so profoundly undervalued my life. And in so doing, I have so undervalued the life of every brother and sister I've met. Uh, because I don't, I don't understand the language. I have forgotten how to dream the dreams of reality. Uh, and I have uh, put myself and my dreams in a box that I live in every day. And in that space that it took me to, it was an out-of-body experience, obviously, after just, I don't know if it was seconds or minutes or whatever passed while that was happening. I, I went into this state of just connectivity where I was just blown away by the beauty of life on a different level. Mm. And uh, as it wrapped up and, and this Aboriginal brother lifts me off the floor. He's, he's just like this granite source of gravity. Like he's just mm -hmm. like piece of mother earth right there in his sense of self. And it was in that moment that he looked in my face and he said, I love you brother. And, and look forward to spending uh, time next to you by the fire. And, uh, it was like there was this whole lifetime that passed between us in those couple of fractions of seconds. And it was disorienting to the highest degree. Uh, For the mind. And, and it's that sense of like, why? That's how we should say hello to each other, you know, with such gravity and such presence that we would create that gravity. That when we looked in each other's eyes and said, hello, brother, hello, sister, that it would carry all of the knowingness that you showed up in a womb just recently and you manifested an origin state story of a soul connecting to a body and you went through a second conception where you were born into an organic garden that was not just your mother, but it was 40 mothers before her whose vaginal canals had each prepared the next generation for the next generation. And you are looking through this, this tunnel of time of intelligence of nature within this vaginal now that takes you back to the roots of what it means to be alive and you now sit between soil and stars and you are at this interface of exchange of energy as starlight as suns from distant galaxies in our own 
beat their electrons down on the surface of the planet that our plants would absorb those through the very strange little bacteria inside of them called plastids or chlorophyll that would take that electrical magnetic energy and turn it into a carbohydrate or a fat that would be consumed by our gut that we would then turn back into CO2 to release the starlight sunshine back into our veins so that we would run as electrical beings. That sunshine that courses through our veins, that is the reality. And then I would say, hello, brother, it's nice to meet you. And so that's, that's it, you know? And so you, you guys are so blessed to have that Aboriginal awareness mm -hmm. in, in the vibration of the earth that you stand on uh, that ancient awareness between sun, star, and moon, as well as our own planet, that, that sacred space that does few feet above the surface of the planet that we inhabit is given the opportunity to witness both. The, the glory of the microscopic and the glory of the cosmos. We stand between the two given God-given sensory capacity of sight, sound, taste, touch, and this incredible brain that would then find pattern recognition in that to see the beauty of nature that never has to be taught. I love it that you and I never had to be taught that sunshine is beautiful, that mm -hmm. the sunrise is beautiful. Nobody sits there at the beach and says, Kids, look at the sunset. <laughs> that is beautiful. That's beautiful right there. You never tell a kid what's beautiful. They know what's beautiful. Mm. That's wonderful. So I, I am excited for us to dive as a species into this miraculous zone that we would call life mm. in, in a constant awareness of how important it is for us to recognize our own value. Because in so doing, we will recognize the value of all of those around us, whether the microbes beneath our feet on our farms, or the extraordinary souls that walk by us on the streets of the city that we may live in, we are a vibrant center of consciousness that is animated by sunshine. And in that sunshine that we radiate, we have the opportunity to exchange information. And through that exchange of information, we could do something glorious, which is called quorum sensing in, in the microbiome. When you get enough species that are interacting in fungi or bacteria, you suddenly see hyperintelligence emerge. And in this quorum sensing moment, suddenly the, the collective consciousness or intelligence of the Petri dish or the, the farm field at that scale suddenly starts to do things that, that are greater than the sum of its parts. Suddenly it's acting as a hyperintelligent organism that knows exactly how to traffic nutrients from one side of the farm over to a distant tree that's deficient and is dying for starvation. And the whole farm cooperates to, to traffic information and resources over to that one tree. That tree then gives back gratitude and the gratitude grows that tree and its canopy shades and the animals are there in the shade and the heat of the sun so they would more effectively aerate the soil next year. So a more diverse microbial and, and fungal you know, network would thrive there again. This is the sharing you know, economy that we need to witness. We need quorum sensing so that we would share life more, more diversely and, and more beautifully with one another uh, to realize a richness of human existence that's never existed before. The other option is extinction, which is mm -hmm. a, another rebirth. And so we will rebirth either way. We will rebirth into this new beauty, a new humanity, or we will rebirth back into the energetics of the universe, giving up homo sapiens sapiens as our shell and return to our origin to say, what we have we learned in that experience that we would take forward to seed life differently? Hmm. We will learn from this if we stay awake. And so brothers and sisters, we must be awake, which means we need less drugs, which means we need less sugar, fat, salt combinations, which are our most socially acceptable drug. We need to wean ourselves off of the processed food 
the, off of these, you know, neurochemical triggers of the salt, fat, sugar world that we live in. And we need to wean ourselves off the pain control that we do with the THC and the CBD and the opiates. And that we need to stop fighting the pain. We need to stop bearing the pain. We need to go into the pain because the antidote is in the wound. We will not understand why we are in pain until we go into the pain. And in the pain, not only will we find out why it's there, we'll find the, the opposite, which is the, the, the antidote, the, the, the salve that will be on that wound to cause this pain to finally go away because the pain is ultimately the sense of loneliness that we spoke of earlier. The, the balm is the reality that you are accepted. Brother and sister, you are so complete. I am so complete in all of my human attention to my brokenness and my attention to my insecurities and fallibilities and all of this. I am accepted fully, completely and almost terribly accepted uh, because I am embarrassed to be accepted as I am ultimately because I feel so deficient um, so many days and I am terribly accepted. Uh, it is a, a horrifically graceful universe that we live in that would uh, embrace us despite uh, the insanity and the, and the abject you know, uh, abusiveness of the human collective behavior. And it's calling us to be embraced so that we would act different and we would be different. So glad to be here in the midst of a, the tipping point of the sixth great extinction. I'm glad to be here at the tipping point of human consciousness with all of you. And I'm blessed, Amr, to know you as a brother. Mm. The honest mind, brother there. Thank you so much on behalf of myself, the Inspired Evolution Tribe and community. Thank you so much for your time, presence, love and energy here today. Wishing you all the best for everything that's coming up. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll stay in touch soon. For those that want to connect to Zach's work, there's going to be a whole bunch of links to the, uh, the show notes. So check them out as well. And uh, I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thank you, Armin. Thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. If you're loving these episodes, make your way across to YouTube, click subscribe. Fresh episodes are launched every Monday with highlights being released throughout the week. Thank you so much. And hey guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.